0: Welcome to Mom in Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we're going to get into a really fascinating discussion about infant mental health, and more specifically, why it's important to be considering infant mental health and perinatal mental health at the same time. Sometimes when I go to conferences, we're very heavily focused on either the mom or primary caregiver or birthing person, with some mention and some nod to how the infant themselves is doing. Certainly, that is part of what we're discussing, but also in some conferences that I've gone to that really focus on the child and development, mention of the parents or primary caregiver is sometimes left out of the child's mental health. But really, this is a whole system. The specialist we're talking with today, Maylene Velasquez, is a psychotherapist specializing in infant and perinatal mental health. Her practice supports individuals identifying as women and clinicians working on practicing from an anti-oppressive framework. Some of the things we're touching on today is, well, what is infant mental health and why is it so important to be considering that and perinatal mental health at the same time? What I hear so often from new moms in my practice is that they are so worried that they are not doing good enough for their child or they're messing up their child in some way because they're not attending to them all the time or they're not stimulating themselves or they're not stimulating their baby enough for their growth and development. I think this is one of the traps of modern parenthood, is that there are so many ideas about what we are supposed to be doing in order to enrich our children and how attentive we are supposed to be, that anytime we're not doing those things, it feels like failure or somehow that we're messing our children up. Oh, and also, spoiler alert, you are not messing up your kids by not attending to them all the time. I'm really excited for the parents out there to get some of this information And also for all of us to be thinking about the family as a system as opposed to just the baby or just the caregiver. So let's welcome Maylene. Welcome, Maylene. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, this I'm super duper excited to talk about infant mental health and the intersection with perinatal mental health. And frankly, I think this should probably be its own podcast. There's so much to know, and I don't know a whole lot about infant mental health, although I'd love to. So I'm excited for you to share this with the listeners and give us some information on what even is infant mental health and why should we be thinking about this. So please start wherever you'd like. Thank you. So I'll start with how I
1: think about infant mental health. To me, infant mental health is the idea that infants and young children, they have an emotional world they have emotional development, and they have emotional needs that need to be met. Mm-hmm. The organization Zero to Three, they define infant mental health as an understanding that infants and young children, particularly Zero to Five, need to experience, regulate, and express their emotions. They need to be able to build secure relationships with people that are close to them. And then they also need to be able to explore their environment and to learn. So it's kind of a three-pronged approach, mm-hmm. kind of learning emotionally-based relationships and the exploration that is needed when there's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about the intersectionality of infant mental health and perinatal mental health in terms of it's a two-way street. Right. So, when we think about an infant being able to regulate their emotions, we know that infants are not able to do that on their own. So, we call that co regulation. Infant needs a caregiver to be able to provide that calm and focused attention and that soothing, loving, gentle touch so that the infant can then internalize regulation. Sure. But that can only happen if we're providing. A safe space for parents to be able to express their emotions, which also means that parents need to have a capacity to express their emotions, to build secure relationships, and to feel free and safe to explore their environment and to learn. Sure. So when a parent is experiencing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, and that need goes unmet, then it can become impossible to provide that experience of co-regulation for the infant.
0: Right, because the parent is dealing with their own internal struggle, whatever that may be, and it might be harder to connect and bond with baby.: Absolutely. Right. So right. And part of my experience in the perinatal mental health world is that absolutely like we are considering the well-being of the child and the well-being of the parent. Um, But there are some real specific things that in relation to infant mental health that like all the things that you just described as a therapist make a lot of sense to me and is kind of in my thinking. But in terms of a discipline, I don't know if that's the right word, in terms of like a study of infant mental health, there doesn't seem to be a lot of crossover into both worlds. Both in, in the perinatal mental health world is really focused on the parents, although we are considering absolutely what's going on for the child. And then vice versa, it sounds like in any kind of conferences I've been to that are focused on children, there's not a whole lot being brought in of what's going on for the parents that might be impacting the infant.
1: Absolutely. I think that that's definitely across the board in most fields. As professionals, we tend to be very niche-based. which means that if I study this and I specialize in this, then I only see the world through this lens. Mm. And there's some crossover, like you said, in perinatal mental health, there's awareness of the infant. And in my experience in infant mental health, there is the awareness of the parental reflective functioning, which is their capacity to kind of hold the baby in mind and to imagine what the baby might be feeling sure. and experiencing and what the baby might need. And there's an understanding of maternal depression and how it can affect infant development. What I see sort of missing is that understanding that parents are their own being, wow. separate from the infant. Uh, With their own set of needs, emotions, desires that need to be met, aside from the relationship or that infant need.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. You're right. It seems so simple and straightforward when you put it that way. But to your other point, in terms of a discipline and what we learn, there's not as much crossover as there could be. What, as parents and potentially providers too, could we be noticing? about babies that would tune us into how they're doing. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs. What they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
2: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
1: I think that the first thing as kind of providers and and advocates in the field, the first thing to keep in mind is that every bit of information that we share needs to be shared in, in a space of compassion, of kindness, of gentleness, of understanding that when parents are experiencing parenthood as a (laughs) whole or (laughs) you know especially when there is anxiety or depression intermix it can come with a lot of feelings of guilt and shame and a constant worry of am I doing the right thing am I hurting my child is this safe is this okay am I being good enough and so that's important to hold in mind so with that said I, I think that some of the things to kind of keep in mind is that first and foremost if a parent is struggling that parent needs support. Yes. Above anything else in my training in infant mental health and in play therapy gathered a lot of information as to best practices for young children for infants for the dyadic relationship but not enough attention for what does this parent need? And how can we support this parent in transitioning to the role of parenthood, whether that parent has their first child or whether this is their sixth child, because every experience is different. And when we don't hold that in mind, aside from the relationship, then parents can get lost. Sure. And and the attachment relationship, the bonding is really, it's interrelated meaning that both the baby and the parent are very sensitive to each other. Right. It is very difficult for a parent to provide that calm and focused attention when they're caring for a colicky infant.
0: Uh-huh. Right, right.
1: Crying for 3 hours, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard enough. So some of the things I I would imagine to look for is first, you know, what I said in, in terms of making sure that parents are doing everything possible to care for themselves. And then two, noticing, you know, whether there is support needed, right? So I like to focus first on kind of what are the basic needs? And then how do we meet the emotional needs after that? So the basic needs is that parents can't be too shy or too tough on themselves when it comes to asking for support. Yeah. Because an infant thrives in relationships. And I think that parents thrive also in safe relationships. Where whether it is that that time in the evening when the baby starts to become a little bit more um, harder to soothe mm-hmm. and there needs to be somebody coming in and supporting that, or whether it is something as simple as somebody coming in and just loading the, the dishwasher or lo- right. loading the laundry. Because all those spaces are going to help to lower the stress that then the parent is going to bring into the dyadic relationship to the parent and infant relationship. So if we think about those first three points in terms of experiencing emotions, building secure relationships and exploring the environment, a concern would be an infant that's not showing a full range of emotions. Uh This will be an infant that maybe never shows happiness or rarely shows happiness or rarely shows fear or anxiety. The same thing for us. Healthily, we need to feel a full range of emotions. Also an infant that's maybe a little bit more easily withdrawn. But it's also important that as I'm saying these things, that we don't go into that space of
0: over-interpreting behavior. Yeah, thank you, really. A lot for bringing that in. I'm thinking about all like the anxious moms I meet with that already overly interpret based on fear. So it would be really easy to slip into that. Really, really easy.
1: We want to look at, you know, is this happening in every setting and with every caregiver? Mm -hmm. If it's not Mm -hmm. happening in every setting and with every caregiver, right, then my question would be relationship wise, you know, what are both the baby and the parent bringing into the relationship? Is there a lot of stress that the parent is experiencing that then is affecting the quality of the relationship? And so, when I talk about the quality of the relationship, I mean, is there joy? Is there pleasure within the parent and the infant? And obviously, there's going to be times that there's no joy and no
0: pleasure because right, it's right. very
1: hard yes. to feel joy when you're waking up for the eighth time in yes. like a two hour span. Right to like feed the baby or
0: to soothe the baby Mm -hmm.
1: what you want to look for is you know are there times that you're
0: enjoying it Mm -hmm. more often than not all right right so we're not looking for perfection at all it's there's some normal variation it doesn't need to be joy all the time
1: exactly Mm -hmm. we're looking for what we call an infant mental health is good enough
0: Mm -hmm. yes please say more about good enough
1: (laughs) So when I think about good enough, I think about a parent who responds to their baby's needs, maybe their baby's cries or their baby's asking for for interactions more times than not. You know, and that mm-hmm. can look anywhere from like I don't know sixty forty to you know fifty one forty nine. Mm-hmm. So just like maybe at some points, some days you're just showing up at thirty percent, right.
0: right?
1: And so it's looking at. The whole, as opposed to, you know, what happened in one day.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. That's that's great. Especially because I think for a parent, I mean, it might even be revolutionary for some people to hear that when we're thinking about your infant's mental health, that you getting enough support is part of that. Because it's so hyper-focused on just baby, 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 making sure baby's okay and everything for the baby that, you know, people's ability to think about what what they need really kind of drops to the side. But really what you're saying is that taking care of yourself and or getting support from people around you to feel better is also taking care of your child and also you don't have to be perfect to do that.
1: Absolutely. If you're able to take care of yourself, then you're able to provide a better, safer space for anyone else, including your infant. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that can look like a parent taking at least 30 minutes a day to take care of themselves, whatever it is that it means for them, whether it is going for a walk, or whether it is taking 30 minutes to take a shower, It is crucial that parents of children, especially young children, have that time, even if it's two parents kind of piggybacking off each other, giving each other 30 minutes here and there, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely necessary for the well-being of the infant. The more we can do that, the more that parents can then lower those stress levels in their nervous system, the levels of cortisol, so that then they're able to go into the stressful situation with a bit of a clearer mind and more tolerance for frustration. Right,
0: right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of parents are really, really geared towards making sure they're doing everything they can for their child, which is great, and Also, some of what you can do for your child is take 30 minutes. That's just, you know, what you're saying is, I think, hard for a lot of parents to really absorb Mm -hmm. um, because we've also been told on some level that it's selfish to do that. Right? I mean, uh, that that seems like a prevailing myth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Kat, I... Always tell parents and actually
1: all my clients that a certain amount of selfishness is necessary for survival. (laughs) Yes, if we're not prioritizing our well being, then everything falls apart because the foundation of who we are is first us, and then everything else builds on that, right? So, if you as an individual are feeling strong or balance, or, you know, if you're feeling at that 51%, right, mm-hmm. then that builds a stronger foundation for the couple relationship, if there is a couple relationship. And then on top of that, the parenthood relationship, right? But everything, it's its like a, a three layer tier, mm-hmm. it builds on each other. So it's reframing those old beliefs that you're gonna be joyous and in love And, you know, like blind madly by your infant all the time. And it's going to be a state of bliss 100% of the time. And that if it's not, then that means there's something wrong with you. You know, it's really working to rewire those beliefs and to really noticing what is it that I need to do for me? Mm -hmm. Because when we're truly doing things that, that are good for us, that improve our well-being, then we're in turn doing things that are going to improve our relationship with our babies and are are going to improve the quality of the social emotional development of young children, which is another way of Mm -hmm. you know thinking about infant mental health. Yeah,
0: that makes so much sense. So I mean the the situations that you were describing earlier around if you're noticing a baby withdrawing a bit more or having not showing the full range of emotions, what are other things that might be indicators that a, a baby is having a hard time or or dealing with stress.
1: I think also a sudden change in behavior, a baby that all of a sudden becomes a lot more fussy than before. So, another thing to look for is when there is regression in behavior that's not developmentally appropriate. And and this is what's tricky with young children. Mm-hmm. The moment that you feel like you have things sort of figured out, they change. So right. I would say and that's that normal. <laughs> it is. It's normal. It's the way it's supposed to happen because there is right. a, a crazy amount of development that's happening within the infant where it's born without a capacity to move their neck, right? And within a very short period of time, the infant is running.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's right. this. Crazy amount of development that's happening. So that means that it's constantly changing, which makes it very, very difficult for parents to handle and to manage. So, my personal motto is that when in doubt, when a concern is happening, find somebody that you can consult with. And this is also something that's extremely scary for Mm -hmm. many parents. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The thought of if I consult with this person, what's going to happen? What are they going to say? Are they going to see everything that I'm doing bad? Am I going to lose my child? Which is very, it's so hard. It's so hard because I imagine that for many parents, not only is it a fear, but maybe it's been stories that they've heard. Sure. Some of them, you know, sort of miss. And some of them very reality-based, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. However, trained infant mental health professionals are professionals that are trained to support you in building and maintaining positive, safe, secure relationship with your little one. So there's an understanding that when you seek support by somebody who has the right training to support you, that they're going to be able to give you the tools necessary to support that relationship, and to maintain that safety and security with your infant. Sometimes I hear parents might go to, for example, to their pediatrician. And even though the pediatrician is absolutely the place to go for many things such as nutrition or changes in behavior or anything like that, not all pediatricians are necessarily trained in the emotional aspects of infant mental health. Sure. So seeking a therapist that has that training, seeking a developmental specialist that has that training, going to an organization like Zero to Three and finding the parent's corner and kind of searching within there to look for what to expect. Is everything going right? Or even to connect with a professional within your area Mm -hmm. because we're not going to know everything. And when we're in the middle of a storm, it's hard to really assess what's actually happening, mm-hmm. whether what I'm seeing is really what I'm seeing, or if I'm going into that space of over-interpretation, right. or on the other hand, if I'm going into that space of under-interpretation, which is why I strongly believe that parents and children
0: cannot live in vacuums right. because it doesn't work, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about under-interpretation and how that might feel? And look, I think underinterpretation might be something like you have a
1: feeling or a sense that something is not right. Or maybe people are saying, Hey, you know, I'm noticing this, but we're going into the space of like, no, there's nothing wrong. Uh-huh. Everything's fine. This uh-huh. is just, it's just supposed to be hard.
0: Oh, okay. this is the way it's supposed to be. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. <sighs> So just as you're talking through this, like it, this is incredibly complex in terms of the, like you were describing the social emotional stuff, because there's the the connection between provider and child that's really important. And then there's also these other layers of messaging that you might be getting from other people around you.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: oh, that's normal. you Like a, right. one that I hear all the time, new moms are always tired. And so them themselves thinking like, okay, I'm tired, but it's fine or whatever. Is that like an under interpretation of of stuff? I mean, maybe they are just tired, but maybe there's something else going on.
1: Right. I think it, it could be an under interpretation of some stuff. Absolutely. Which is why it's important to consult with somebody that can give you the right support.
0: Right. Right.
1: Because at the end of the day, we're all struggling with something. We're all working on something. Yeah. And not everyone knows everything. Right. And right? we wouldn't go, I don't know, to find a recipe for how to make bread to a mechanic shop. Right. But we so easily do that when it comes to our mental health, mm-hmm. to parenting, to our well being. Mm-hmm. We so easily go to places that are very good and useful places. You know, we all need a mechanic at some point in our lives, right. but are not the right space for what we need at that moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Oof, that's real. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, um, parents in particular, are not even given information on infant mental health and finding specialists as, as a thing that they could do or that there's help specifically to help them connect and, and build and maintain that relationship with their yeah. new Baby,
1: absolutely. Just like with perinatal mental health, that there's a lot of myths into all this is normal. You're just supposed Mm. to feel this way, blah blah blah. The same thing happens in infant mental health, right? One of the most common misconceptions that I hear is that babies don't have infant mental health. Oh, right. (laughs) Like no, babies don't have that, or oh, they're too young to remember. Uh huh. It's so contrary to the research.
0: Right. Right. I think, I think this is, I mean, I heard this, it's kind of like an old school, like babies are just kind of there. They don't really have feelings until they're older or they're not aware or that this kind of older idea of, of what babies experience. Yeah. That is a big myth. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are, what are some other myths that you've heard of in terms of what the baby's experiences are?
1: I think something else, it's kind of along the ways of what, what you were saying, that that babies only need to be dry, to be fed, and to be put to sleep, which is another one that I think drives many of the parents that I work with bananas or can drive them bananas. Yeah. When they've gone and they've changed the diaper, they fed the baby, they burped the, the baby, the baby just had a nap. And there's not an understanding that babies also need interaction, Mm, mm
2: -hmm.
1: positive, back and forth, reciprocal, loving interaction. And that gets lost, right? Along those lines, another myth is that you can spoil a baby by carrying a baby too much or having the baby, you know, in in the Latino culture is uh, having the baby in your arms, Uh You know, going from arm to arm is going right. to be harmful, which is a total myth. First of all, you can't spoil an infant. Mm-hmm. The only way that an infant can let you know that there's something wrong is through crying. And that something wrong, quote, unquote, it's not always I'm wet or I'm hungry. Sometimes it's I need to be with you.
0: Mm-hmm. I miss mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Really, thank you for that. Yeah, I do hear that a lot. In multiple different cultures, too, there's this idea of spoiling, and I, I don't know that there's like a clear cutoff age for for that. <laughs> but that's a big myth. I don't think that there's ever
1: a clear cutoff stage for responding and validating to emotional needs.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: There is a big difference between, you know, let's say a three-month-old crying in the middle of the night and needing to be soothed because this is the only way that they can let you know there's something wrong and that if we go back to this idea that infants are not able to regulate themselves, they need that co-regulation. So once the crying starts, it can be hard for that infant to put themselves to, to a soothing place and, mm-hmm. you know, not only hard, but it can be impossible. But there's a difference between that and a two-year-old screaming and kicking because right. they really want to play with your phone. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Right. And so you would respond to it different. You can still respond to that emotional need and say, I know you're so frustrated. You were really hoping to play with my phone. Right. But my phone's not for playing. You can right. play with something else. Right? Right. So providing that option. So the cutoff age for emotional response never happens because even us as adults, we need that. It becomes yeah. so invalidating
0: right. when
1: someone says to us, oh, just, you know, it'll be fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It'll work itself
0: out. I love that one. I wish <laughs> it did. <laughs> right. <It's> like <laughs> magic. <world> peace. <laughs> uh, right. It'll happen someday. <laughs> oh, you're totally right. Uh, Right. That's such a a good long view of it, that 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 does not stop. And we see it throughout adulthood as well, for sure.
1: The beauty is that the more that we're able to help that infant to co-regulate, the more that then that child internalizes that feeling of soothing and calm, and the more that then they're able to do it for themselves as they continue to grow up and develop.
0: Right. So as you're talking through this, I'm thinking, you know, from the perinatal mental health perspective of like the moms specifically that I see in my practice who are overloaded, overstimulated, babies crying, and they just can't do it. Like it, they, they've had too much, they are over, overwhelmed, and they need a break. And then there are worries that if they're not attending to their kids all the time, that somehow they're doing harm. So this is where that like good enough percentage, like spectrum that you gave would, would fit in? Yes. Okay.
1: So what I would recommend in that moment, and this can be a little controversial, but what I would absolutely recommend for a parent is that if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you just can't do it, the baby's screaming, you're feeling absolutely stressed, step away, Mm -hmm. go to another room. Give yourself, and I'm not talking about letting the baby cry it out for thirty minutes or an hour. Any, I'm I'm talking about give yourself a few minutes, five minutes, maybe ten minutes, soothe, calm, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then go back in. But that's absolutely necessary because again, we're going back to that foundation Mm -hmm. that you need to be okay, and that it's hard for your nervous system to regulate when an infant is screaming in your ear. Uh And that is unrealistic to think that you're going to be able to calm and to soothe and relax in that moment of stress.
2: And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh. We challenge each other's assumptions. And we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: So take a break. The baby's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You're going to come back you're going to repair and the relationship is going to continue strengthening. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be the recognition within yourself of this is too much and too hard. I wish it didn't feel like too much. I wish it didn't feel like too hard, but this is how it feels right now. Mm -hmm. And what do I need to do for myself? And each time you do that, You're making a sacrifice for the benefit of your child. Mm -hmm. Each time you recognize this is how I'm feeling and this is what I need to do for me, not only are you making that sacrifice for their benefit, but you're also helping them to internalize the idea that when they need a break, it's okay to take a break, which is ultimately what all parents want to do. They want to be able to teach their kids boundaries, when to say no, when to push themselves on. And when to recognize that a little timeout, and not a punishing timeout, but a calming, soothing timeout, is necessary.
0: Right. Oh, thank you for really, really bringing the depth to that. Because so many parents who are really want to do the best for their child end up feeling mostly guilty about um, taking those breaks. But what I hear so clearly about what you're saying is that it's going to be really a lot harder to soothe your child if you yourself are in an agitated state.
1: Absolutely. It's so, going to be just about impossible.
0: Right, right, right. Because there is that connection and energetic connection. Mm-hmm. And when, when we're agitated, people around us get agitated yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And not just babies, other people, human, <laughs> other humans. Not saying I've experienced that ever, but, <laughs> but it's never. It, it never. But right, that absolutely Happens so there. There's power actually in recognizing that oh this is too much for me right now. I'm gonna go take uh, you know put my baby somewhere safe. Go take a little time out and then come back in a different headspace. Yeah, and that that's okay.
1: That's okay. That's self compassion. Self compassion for yourself and it's also kindness for your child
0: mm-hmm.
1: because babies are extremely sensitive to their parents. Mm-hmm just like parents are extremely sensitive to their babies.
0: Right, right. This is a a two-way street. The dyad, you said earlier. The dyad, yeah. Uh Um, And I I wonder if, can I pause here for a second? I don't know if this would be like putting you on the spot, Um, not you specifically, but um, sometimes uh, like with like some of my perinatal clients, they'll talk a little bit about how their baby interacts differently with them than they do a caregiver who's not there all the time. And then they're worried about what that like, It seems like, like, I'll hear this often, like, oh, my partner gets home and the baby's super excited to see them, but Mm -hmm. when they're with me all day, they feel such and such and so and so. That, like, babies will have different relationships with different people for a number of reasons, but somehow that's not (laughs) soothing enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know if this that question would feel like we're going into a whole other topic or not.
1: Um no, I think I can speak to to the fact that babies do look different in different relationships and different settings. And that when you're with your child day after day after day, there are gonna be stressors that you're gonna see and feel and experience. Mm-hmm. And when the other parent comes in or when a grandparent comes in, right? That stress is not there because they haven't been taking care of the baby twenty four seven day right. in day out are not you know strung out on no sleep <laughs> right. Right? right so that that makes a difference and it's hard to recognize that difference when you're there
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: like it's hard you're like oh no like my baby hates me and they're so excited to see this grandparent come in oh, yeah. but that's not the reality that's not what's happening what's happening. Is that the baby's genuinely excited to see someone else? Because that's how babies are.
0: Right. It's not specifically that's how a their rejection. Brain is wired. Yeah. Ah, okay. Right. As I think, a lot of people who are with their babies all day are confused by this. Like, why is this baby so excited to see this other person and feel? Especially if there's depression or anxiety in the the primary caregiver, if uh, it almost feels like rejection or it feels like they're doing something wrong, but. That's not what you're saying. No, not at all. Mm -hmm.
1: Not at all. Babies are wired, especially after a certain age, they're wired for that social interaction. And Mm -hmm. they're excited to see the other parent that they haven't seen, that they have an attachment and a bonding with. But that doesn't mean that they're not excited or that they wouldn't be distressed to separate from the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's just how babies are wired. And when the stress is not there, it makes a difference in how we view the world, right? I often hear from the mommies that I work with, the frustration of when they've been at home all day with the baby and the baby is not soothing, it's not calming, or is constantly needing reinforcement and attention. And the dad comes and the baby's like, happy, smiley, and you know, the dad or, or the other mom come in and they're bathing the baby and they're having all these fun, loving experiences. Mm-hmm. And then that can make a parent really feel crappy and crummy. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to recognize how am I seeing this? And am I telling myself the full picture of what's actually happening?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, is the baby really truly preferring this parent? Or is this parent like absolutely 100% more competent than I am? Or what is really happening is that this parent hasn't been there 24-7 right. all day at each moment. Yep. Watching this baby in the good moments and in the really, really stressful ones right. with, you know, no, no time to like go to the toilet. Right. Right. It makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm. They're coming fresh.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank you for, for bringing in that perspective. I know that there are so many people who are worried about that and who, to use, I think, your words that to either over or underinterpret the communication from their child, that it means it has a meaning that it might not have. Yeah. So like our own level of stress sometimes will dictate how we interpret that then. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And that we need to stop ourselves
1: as humans and really analyze when I'm telling myself this thought or, you know, this belief system is coming through my mind, like, oh, I'm not good enough. Uh-huh. Am I telling myself the full picture right. of what's happening? Right. Right. And especially when there's depression, but I think we all do this, especially parents. mm mm-hmm. Something happens and you can interpret it in a really positive way, or you can interpret it in absolutely the worst crummy way to interpret it. And you're going to run with that one. Right. I'll be like, oh, here's evidence that I'm a failure in life. Oh, There it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we need to constantly bring ourselves back.
0: Well, thank you so much for this information so far. I know there's so much more to know, but I think even opening up the topic for people to understand that it's more complex, which can bring its own stress. But there are some deeper things to think about here. And certainly, I I think based on the things that you already told us, some people will find a lot of relief and some people might have some more questions. But in terms of wrapping up for today, are there any hopeful messages for, for parents and specifically related to infant mental health that you can share with us?
1: I would share that infants and young children are extremely resilient. That absolutely, just like for us adults, anything that happens is going to have an impact impact in how we feel and how we develop. But if parents are able to get the support they need, babies are able to bounce back. Right. And so none of this is a forever thing. As long as Mm -hmm. we're good enough, as long as we're noticing, you know, do I need to get support? Babies are able to bounce back. The relationship is able to bounce back and we're able to create babies that that are healthy and that thrive in the world with relationships that we can enjoy. Oh,
0: that is so good. Thank you. Yeah. You're very welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us today. And I will absolutely send people to you if they want to learn more. And also you mentioned the resource zero to three. Is that a good place for people to go to learn more about infant mental health?
1: Absolutely. It is the leading organization in infant mental health here in the United States. There's tons of information for both professionals and for parents. Great. Thank you so much for that resource
0: and for all of your wisdom today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there is so much to know about infant mental health and perinatal mental health, so we're really just scratching the surface here. And also, we as parents can't know everything. But the pressure that we all feel is that we should know everything and we should be doing everything for our children that we can. And certainly, sure, when you know better, you do better. But let's take some pressure off of ourselves. We are all doing the best that we can with the information that we have. So if you really enjoyed this interview and you want to get connected with Maylene, please go to hummingbirdcounseling.com or find her on Facebook at Hummingbird Counseling. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom & Mind podcast, please do subscribe and share with at least one person who you know could benefit from the information in this episode. You can find us wherever podcasts are played or come join us on Facebook or Instagram at Mom & Mind. So glad you could be with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at
4: momandmind.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack.